if I'm out there and there are two 70-inch bull moose and they start sparring, I'm like, okay, focus, Raycroft. Stay in the game. Get get it together and get the images that you know you want to come away with. And then the little flick that they give right at the very end when that tail's just about to go underwater, it's just like a whoosh. It's so, it's just amazing. Oh, yeah, dude. I, I grew up on a ranch in Wyoming, so naturally... <laughs> Naturally, you, I wanted to be. <laughs> I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau, right? Because that was the only thing on PBS, and that's the only channel that we got. Now it would be super awesome to have a gimbal mounted on that boat, where you had a, a black arm that would take out the shake of the boat or the roll of the boat, and you'd have that stabilizer. It's gonna happen. There. You would still Let's deal do with that. <laughs> oh man! If when you win the lottery, Ron, I will show you. We're exactly in. Just make a list. Buy. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Wild and Exposed, wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast with your hosts, Ron Hayes, Michael Morrow, Missy McKenzie, and myself, Mark Raycroft. This is a part two following up on our most recent podcast because we are following along with Mike and Missy's adventures in Alaska. They were just in Lake Clark, the previous podcast we talked about the brown bears along the coast and the five amazing days that they had filming and working with them. But then they added a part two to their trip that they did not let Ron and I in on at the beginning, but we were so excited to hear about. And on top of that, even more excited to hear what unfolded on this adventure that they took along the coast of Alaska. And so today's not, podcast is about I'm not that. necessarily as excited as I am envious. I think. Well, that's another appropriate word for sure. <laughs> as I'm sure our listeners will be, because what they experienced was phenomenal. And, you know, it's, I, I can't wait to hear the details and envious works as well. I just wanted to give them the, the high road and, <laughs> and say that we're excited to hear how it went. And, you know, and that's the way it is with all of our friends and colleagues, when they have a phenomenal wildlife experience, it's just great to hear the story and see the results of it. When, when a plan comes together and the weather works and the animals are there, and even in a way that was totally unanticipated, like on this trip. Yeah. It totally speaks to being out there, right? You just got to be there. You do. The more you're out there, the more happens, right? And yeah. so not just with perseverance, but taking adventures and, and going on them. And, you know, our, our trip in Wyoming was like that. I didn't know what to anticipate this spring. And it was a lot of fun. You know, capital F-U-N. It was fun. <laughs> you know. And and so, and this it sounds like, so how did this happen? So for our listeners' enjoyment, let them know how this got set up. The second part to this coastal adventure that, that the two of you went on just days ago. So we talked about Barrett yesterday in the podcast and Barrett is the, he's a young photographer. I don't know. I think he's what? 32. If and that. He's making a, if that. Good. I don't know. He he's told 32. me. He's 32. He's 32. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, he runs a gallery down in Skagway, Alaska. So that's one of the ports where all this cruise ships go to. So it's a good location for his gallery and he's got a lot of visitation and he does pretty well in there. But a lot of those people coming up the Inside Passage, they want to see a lot of the animals that they see coming up, right? So you'll see whales, you'll see eagles, you'll see some bears, you'll see river, or not river otters, sea otters. 
So, and Barrett doesn't have any sea otter pictures. So he knew he was going to be in Anchorage doing that Lake Clark trip. And it's only two hours down to Seward. So he took it upon himself to find a charter service that would take us out, out of Seward and try to find uh, sea otters. And what he was looking for was a mama sea otter holding the little baby sea otter on her chest like they do. I don't know if you've seen any pictures of that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but he didn't tell anybody. He just set all the trip up. And then I get a text saying, hey, uh, you want to split a trip out of Seward on a boat to go look for sea otters? And I'm like, sure. You know, if you can spread the cost around, that's the best way to do it, right? So he got a, a boat. It was a super awesome boat, a nice custom-made aluminum double hull, I guess catamaran-style boat. And um, it fit about six people. Hold and on we, now. He, you said he got the boat, but he hired the boat and the boat's owner, the skipper, the guide. Right. The captain, yeah. The captain. The captain. Yep. And this guy okay. does eco-tours out of Seward, and he caters to everything. He actually, his boat's main purpose is for families because he wanted to have an environment where kids would have a good time, adults would have a good time, and the boat is set up for that and it actually has a little bathroom on it which comes in handy because you don't know if you're going to get seasick or if you drink too much coffee <laughs> so uh as it turned out it was missy and i barrett and his wife twyla and then another kid that was on the tour with us out of lake clark andrew kane and we all just split the cost of it and went out and uh, like like i said the goal was to get out there and find some sea otters and the captain when Barrett had talked to him on the phone. He's like, yeah, I think we can get out there and find some otters. He said they're, the wild otters, the otters that don't hang out next to town, are a little bit cagey. And then there's the whole Marine Mammal Act, and you can only be within a certain distance. You can't approach an otter, but an otter could approach us. Mm -hmm. So he said, we'll just go out there and see what we can find. When did you start out? So is this like a dawn till dusk boating adventure, or is it like three hours? Or how long, how did it work out that way? So it was 10 hours. 6 a.m. till 4 p.m. And how far off, I mean, I got, I'm got. i getting ahead of myself a little bit here because I'm excited. But how far offshore did you go in those 10 hours? Did you, did you just go like half a mile or, or were you traveling a long way? Or Yeah, we went about 10 miles. Well, we didn't, we just went a couple miles out to look for the sea okay. otters. But then we heard that there were some whales further out. So we went about 10 miles out to see if we could wow. find them. But the plan awesome. was to go further. Right. The plan was just to kind of cruise, to go out of Seward, and we could even went all the way down to Kenai Fjords. Which was about 20 miles, he said. So wow. you eat up okay. a lot of time going out, but there's opportunity to see stuff the whole way. So we thought, well, let's just go until we go. And, and you know, most people that come to Alaska and you hop on a tour like this, you're either going to be fishing or you're going to be sightseeing. And sightseeing includes seeing whales and otters. But they also want to see all the glaciers and all that kind if of stuff. If you're super lucky. Yeah. But yeah. if you're a I mean, wildlife person, yeah. we, you know, the way every one of us on this podcast, the way we act is you find one cool wildlife opportunity and you stay with it all day, right? You don't care if you go see right. anything else because once you lock on one thing and it's good, you stick with it. So our initial intent was otters. And like Missy alluded to earlier, we got a report. So we left at 6 a.m., and 6 a.m. is pretty early. Most of the boats don't leave till about 8 a.m. So we were out there kind of early, but there was a couple of fishing boats out ahead of us, and they spotted what they called the big fins. 
and we heard over the radio that the guys were like, we got some big fins cruising at such and such island to such and such island. And our captain's like, great, I know exactly where that's at. So we made a beeline for that because big fins are orcas, right? And I've never seen an orca in wow. the wild. So I thought, oh, this will be really cool. Yeah. So yeah. we headed out there and... Um, so, sorry, when you do the beeline, can you stay on the bow or is, is, is he like kind of pushing the throttle down everybody under deck and we're going or how, how is that experience? You can stay wherever you're comfortable staying. I mean, but is he going to blow you off the bow? Is it that fast? Yeah. You can lose your hat. You can lose your hat. You can lose your hat. And I did stand on the bow. The rest went in and I stood out there like I was on the Titanic Titanic or something. I I almost lost my, I had to hold on to my hat and I, I literally leaned up against the, front of it so i he has uh, the boat set up with two 300 horsepower uh outboard motors so engines or whatever so he can flat uh, i think he said the canoe here in canada (laughs) exactly he (laughs) said the top speed was about 40 miles an hour and we had flat water in the morning so it was pretty nice and no rain no nothing we had decent it was perfect weather for what we were trying to do so we got on a beeline out for these orcas and we got out to where they were supposed to be and he's watching on his gps and we didn't have help from other boats right because those initial boats that actually spotted them they were headed out fishing which takes let's like a two and a half hour jaunt out for those guys so they'd already left and we were the only ones out in the waters and we never found the orcas but on our way back looking for otters we ran across humpbacks and that okay was, that was the day that was okay. the okay, but not just not just humpbacks. I mean, lots of people that go out on these boats, they get a view of, of humpbacks, you know, kind of breaking the water and you can get those nice, uh, fluke shots and that kind of thing. And the tail shots, but you guys saw humpbacks in some pretty unique behavior. Yeah. So there's one glacier outside of Seward called bear glacier. So that's about the area we were at. And we were having these humpbacks coming out of the water, bubble net feeding, with the glacier in the background. It was like, all right, well, thanks for tuning in people. (laughs) This host, this host, I know I didn't say envious earlier, but I'm bailing out right now. (laughs) So, but that, I mean, yeah, we're take, take us through the approach and what happened, because I assume it, you didn't just show up in their, their bubble net feeding that they were just swimming along or when you showed up, was that already occurring? I mean, did it, it, do you remember? Was it Fast and Furious, or did you follow them for a bit and film them with their, with their tails coming out of the water and just enjoying that, and all of a sudden they disappeared for several minutes below the surface, and then it's like, where'd they go? And then all of this unfolds, and it's like, holy cow, get ready, this is that's happening. Ex- that's exactly what happened. Um, the first time that we saw them, they were just swimming, kind of doing a straight line, and then they started doing, then they disappeared for a little bit, and then started doing the circling, and that's when they started the bubble fe- bubble net feeding. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this. I mean, how exciting was that just to think that they've done this? And then when it started, how crazy was it? It has to be one of those moments as a wildlife nature photographer where you've got to keep your shit together. Sorry for saying that, but it's so exciting that, you know, it's this first opportunity. So, like, for me, I'm throwing moose in here right now. If, if <laughs> moose, if I'm out there and there are two 70-inch bull moose and they start sparring, I'm like, okay, focus raycroft stay in the game get it together get get it together and 
get the images that you know you want to come away with because it's just so invigorating to be to be there at that point in time and with this bubble feeding and knowing what's happening it's it's so hard to okay let's get the horizon straight let's let's you know have the right depth of field let's get the right shutter speed because it's action right measuring all that up at the same time is a bit of chaos for anybody even the most experienced photographer but having it the first time how exhilarating was that for you guys it was really difficult because i didn't do any research on whales i did research on sea otters because i wanted to know what we were up against and that was the whole plan was we were going out for sea otters right and so i didn't really ever think i you know i figured we'd see some whales because you always see whales when you go out there it's like what ron said you you might see them their blowhole or you might just see them passing by but you don't really expect to see that bubble net feeding I, I didn't really know what we were... I mean, I knew exactly what we were seeing. I've seen plenty of programs and I've seen plenty of action. But the the rarity, and then I had no idea how long this thing was going to go on. But when I got back that night and I did a little research, they can do this up to 20 hours straight. And I wish I would have known that because I'd have never left that situation as long as we had that boat. But um, yeah, you definitely have to have your shit together and you definitely have to... It was tricky, you know, like you, so your example of photographing a, a moose, you're on solid ground, you've got all the situations just right, right? You got the light to your back, probably most likely, you've got everything dialed in and it's a very familiar spot. You still have to have a lot of things come together to make the perfect shot, but you're in an area of familiar, how do you say that, familiarity, mm-hmm, but yes. when you're out on you're, a boat and right. it's rocking... Right. And then you're trying to, and then he, it's again, it's the Marine Mammal Act and, and how f- close you can get to these whales. We can't get within, I believe 100 it was a hundred yards. yards, but if they pop up right next to the boat, I mean, there's nothing he can do about that. Right. So of course. we would, uh, he would be going forward and then we'd go back and we're constantly and and finally he understood as photographers, what we wanted. We wanted that glacier in the background if we could get it. We wanted uh, as many whales that were, you know, coming up at once. You just wanted all these elements of all the different things going on. And he was constantly going forward and then back. And when these whales do their bubble net. I'm so excited about so many facts about this here. I don't know what direction to go in. I want to hear about the equipment issues because there's that challenge that you're talking about right now. Because it is different than being on terra firma where you've got you're anchored down and all you have to do is pivot. I'm not trying to oversimplify my moose pictures here, but you know, on a boat where you, you are fluid, I mean, shooting stills, this is one point where Ron, I I mean, we can appreciate Ron and I that having a a 500 to two to 500 handheld is awesome because you can work with that motion. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm also wondering, Michael, with, with what you're doing, I'm assuming at this point you're trying to capture video or are you shooting stills? I, I thought I took all my video equipment expecting, well, not knowing what to expect. Right. So we get out there and I figured if we had flat, calm seas, which is a rare occurrence. And if we could get whatever we were shooting fairly close, I might be able to shoot some video handheld. Right. But the seas weren't that flat. Now it would be super awesome to have a gimbal mounted on that boat where you had a a black arm that would take out the shake of the boat or the roll of the boat. And you'd have that stabilizer on there. You would still go with. Let's do that. Oh man. (laughs) If when you win the lottery run, 
I will show you exactly what we need to buy. We're in. Just make a list. Okay. <laughs> but as far as gear goes that we all used, we used still cameras. Yeah. Missy had her D500 with the 200 to 500. I was using a 200 to 400 Canon with the 1DX. And then uh, everybody else was using Nikon, right? Yep. And about the same thing. But that smaller little system would have been the ticket. That 200 to 500 with the D500 on it or 870 or 850 or whatever. I don't know. The Nikon. 850. Yeah, the 850. How many times did they surface in front of you to do this on your trip? They would do it about every 10 minutes. And we were there for five hours. Ah! I told you. Gee. All right. So you had like. 40 opportunities at this? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so here's here's the difficult things. You're dealing with the I'm, motion I'm of the boat. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. I know. I would go back tomorrow if, if I could I'm get a group of people. I mean, renting that boat as a single person is very expensive. But if you can split it between six people, it's doable. I'll split it with you, buddy. All right. I'll do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I would go in a heartbeat. I would go back. All right. Well, you've so, been uh, there. So anyway, keep going, please. So that... So all the little issues that occur is you're watching your background, you're watching other boats because, you know, we're there for five hours. So there's other boats coming out all the time. And what do they want to do? They want to show people whales. So then you've got, and these are big boats that might hold 200 people. And then you get little fishing boats that might hold four people. And, you know, it was never like a traffic jam. It was never like there was 30 boats there. I think at the most we might have had four boats besides us there. So you're watching other boats, you're watching your background, and then like Missy said, you're never sure exactly where they're going to come up. Now the gulls are feeding on the same bait ball that the, the whales are after, right? And then they know when the whales come up that all these fish are being pushed up to the top, so then they have access to these, these fish. So generally you knew by the swarm of the seagulls where they were actually going to come up, but then it was very tricky to get the whales coming out before this, I don't know, there's probably... A thousand seagulls out there? Oh, yeah. There was they a would lot. actually, there would be so many seagulls descend on it that they would actually cover the whales. So all you're seeing is white. Wow. So it was a constant kind of like, okay, is this one going to be good? But then there was a couple, two or three times where the whales would surface somewhere completely. The, they Even faked the out seagulls the were seagulls, wrong. they faked out everybody, and they would just pop up like 50 yards off to our right. And we, you know, you just have no idea. It was pretty amazing. Now, the other cool thing that we were able to, that was mind-boggling. Do you guys, under, do you know how the bubble net feeding works? Oh, oh yeah, dude. I, I grew up on a ranch in Wyoming, so naturally. <laughs> <laughs> naturally, you, I wanted to be. describe it, Ron. <laughs> I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau, right? Because that was the only thing on PBS, and that's the only channel that we got. Right. Oh, my gosh. So, you guys. So, yeah, they, they find these, they're groups of uh, schools of herring, right? Well, and, and so that we were trying to figure out whether it was hooligan, herring. I'm not sure what kind of fish they were, but yeah. So they're right. finding a bait fish. Small yeah, fish. so they'll find these bait fish, and then they'll circle, and then they bring the circle closer and closer together, and while they're circling, they're blowing blowing the bubbles, which creates that net Confusion. and forces these fish into a, a ball to, you know, safety and numbers kind of thing. And then they come right up through the middle of the ball. That's essentially it. And I don't, I can't say that that's all right or that's all wrong. And all the only thing, when we got back, I got on the internet, the good old internet, and I typed in bubble net feeding 
the first thing comes up with something produced by the BBC, right? So it's, I'm yep. sure it's pretty factually correct. And maybe whales are different in different areas. I don't know. But the way that they explained it was very similar to what you said, Ron, is <clears throat> only they said that on the main, the lead female whale will go down first. And what she'll do is she'll go down and find where the bait's at. And then she'll start creating this bubble net. And she, it's just her by herself. And then the rest of them go. And what they do is they go to beneath, beneath the, the bait fish and they start singing. You know, it's that, that, that sound that stuns Louder. those fish. Louder. Yeah. And then it just pushes mm -hmm. those fish right up to that bait. And then they all, in unison, kind of come up through that bubble net and then just feed it. So my point to that whole thing was we could hear them. You could hear them. It was so, it's and we didn't. To be one of their loudest sonar that's, times. Yeah, is it when was they're doing bait balling. The coolest thing. We I've didn't ever have heard. any microphones in the water or anything. We could just hear this just by standing, and I think it resonated through the boat. It was in a metal aluminum boat, and I'm just guessing that you know we didn't hear it every time, and it was probably when they were much closer, and we didn't know they were right next to us. But you would hear that just that, and it's not their really beautiful mating songs or anything like that. It was just this like droney kind of like you know it's just that sound to create that stun stunning effect on those fish it was unbelievable that's awesome yeah and they they do so all that through their blowhole too it's yeah. not oral it's not through their mouth obviously being baleen mm -hmm. filter feeders right it's through their blowholes another whole element of this whole deal was every now and then one of them would breach and like missy said earlier there is no rhyme or reason and it was super hard to get a picture of it because it's like out of the blue, you got one whale just shooting up out of the water and just splashing and just creating this massive wave. And So you had no idea when it was going to happen or where it was going to happen. It just all of a sudden you saw this massive creature come up out of the water and... It was amazing. I mean, most of the time all of us were in shock that we weren't even photographing because we were like, holy... Twyla. Twyla was awesome. She was on it, though, and I think it was a lot easier for her because she just had this little setup, you know, and she was just watching, and it was easy for her just to bring it up. And she was just so, she was having a ball, and she was so into it that she just basically just kept the camera right up to You know, eye. it was like watching an action movie. It was so exciting because... I mean, so much was going on, and you're running around the boat like, where are they going? Where are they going to come up? And watching the seagulls, because, you know, the seagulls told you a lot also by their movement and, how, and their behavior. So you're trying to watch the seagulls. You're trying to watch the whales. You're trying to look for bubbles. It was crazy excitement. I mean, it Time was so much still. fun. Well, we thought, we, you know, I said we were there for about five hours. It right. was like an hour. It seemed like, it seemed like yeah. an hour. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Just stop. I how I feel is there that. All day. Well, and I didn't right. know how I did. I mean, I'm just, I don't know anything about this, right? Like I said earlier, I didn't do any research. So I didn't know, you know, I get off the boat thinking, oh, I'm going to come back next week and shoot the same thing. You know, one thing that I was the most disappointed about was the breaching because it's mm -hmm. so hard to get. You don't know where they're coming up. And if you nailed that perfect shot, it would be so cool. Yeah, you basically, what you have to do to get the breach shot, I think, which Twyla was really doing, was she was following the whales the whole time we were out there. I mean, she was, you know, and um, a couple times we would 
set our cameras down and start chatting or something like that while they were down below thinking that we had some time. So I think if you have your camera up the whole time and you're what and you're following them and you're focusing every now and then in the certain area that they're at, I think you're going to you'll get it. It's just because you don't know when it's going to happen. So if you don't follow follow them, you're going to miss it. So I just sent you guys a picture of one of the breaches and we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but that was the first breach that I got. And, it, you know, it's just not your typical like quintessential breaching shot that you kind of expect to see. But it's kind of cool. I mean, I'm still able the to catch it. The splash that they make is crazy. It's just huge. Well, they can be, just for the figures here, they can be 40, up to 44 tons humpback. So they're the sixth largest whale or cetacean on the planet. One of the largest ever known was 89 feet. And that's like encroaching on blue whale territory. Blue whale, the largest known mammal on Earth ever, uh, 98 feet or 30 meters. Um, there are 80 species of cetaceans or whales uh, species of which your experience was the number six with the humpback. Um, 52 feet is the average or 16 meters, but 44 tons, that's going to make a big splash, right? It's amazing. They can get out of the water. Yeah. Right. That's what I was going to say of the, of the baleen whales. They're definitely the most athletic or, uh, dynamic. I think the humpback whale behavior is, it's incredible. I mean, you're talking about propelling a school bus, full school bus, out of the water. Right. You know, completely, almost. Did well, you know and that? it was just whole, it was poetry when you'd watch them, after they would do their bubble net and they would surface a little bit and blow out and do their thing, <clears throat> when it was time to go down again to set up for it, you know, the first one would go and then you'd see another one go and then it was all just kind of, it was the same whales, the same time, they do all the same and you could tell because each tail is different, right? So you'd see these different tails going down and then the little flick that they give right at the very end when that tail's just about to go underwater, it's just like a whoosh. It's so, it's just amazing. Just amazing to capture mm-hmm. and to see. So they, they spend the summers feeding, right? So in the cooler waters, Alaska and Antarctica. Um, and they are endangered species, still protected. And there are approximately 80,000 worldwide. Um, I love to know as a biologist how these numbers come up, but that's what's listed as a statistic and can live up to 50 years. Um, and then the winter and warmer waters, uh, Hawaii, California, Gulf of Maine. But what's cool for humpbacks, uh, just for our listeners as well, um, they're in all the major oceans of the world, and they're one of the furthest migrator- migrating species in the world with up to 16,000 miles in migration from winter to summer zones so winter is mating their gestation is up to 12 months 11 to 12 months so they return the next winter to give birth in the warm waters off hawaii and california um as far as the north american populations but then they migrate up to 16,000 miles to the cooler water and feed during the summer months on and make on this bait and it's um krill is another another feed aside from the the bait fish that they they feed on as well and one gulp, as you guys witnessed, 40-some times, can consume thousands of these bait fish. 
Well, you know what so, the, the captain told me too is their throat is only as big as a grapefruit. Well, there's so a they challenge. can't inhale like a big halibut or anything right. like that. It's all of these the it's these little bait fish or like you said the creel. And it's crazy because you would think that they would get a couple seagulls because there are so many seagulls at the at their mouths um, when they would all come when they would come up to the surface. Mm-hmm. So you would think that they would seagulls would uh, have some problems here and there. Right, they are wing clipped. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We get trapped for a moment, and the world goes dark, and then the whale opens his mouth and get out of here. <laughs> Who knows, right? Yeah. So it it was an incredible experience. It's something that if you end up in Alaska and you have a chance to go out on a boat, no guarantee you're going to see that. But, man, you should try it just because it well, was total what luck. Yeah. We go back to the beginning of the podcast. It's being what you said, being out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in, in wilderness and wildlife and with animals and these great landscapes, we can never predict or expect what's going to happen. That doesn't work, right? It would be... I'm not going to say it'd be boring if we knew what was going to happen every day, but it's never that way. Any trip, any day, there are always surprises, big and small. And so just being out there and the fact that you guys decided, okay, let's make a part two of this adventure and go out. And all of a sudden you come back having these several hours of bubble feeding behavior of humpback whales with glaciers in the background all right yeah if you haven't seen it i recommend so, you seeing it it, it was incredible you. the other thing yeah. is is if it was easy everybody would be doing it right? right it's very difficult oh, yeah. and you just gotta spend oh, yeah. the time and you just gotta go gotta go gotta go gotta see it though even just to see it yeah. not just to get the the images and and what you guys have put on instagram the past couple of days on your pages and in our wild and exposed page get that stuff on there but as far as our listeners today, I mean, this story has given me goosebumps a couple of times. Go to wildandexposed.com and look at the show notes and see visually what Mike and Missy experienced on this charter and how epic it was. And, you know, hats off to them for doing it, for being adventurous, for saying, yeah, let's try that. And let's look for some sea otters. And then what? We're going to do some humpback whales bubble as well i mean so now so, we got to go back and we got to find orcas doing their well, little well, their little thing going up and down they're bobbing up and down and then we got to go get more of the uh-uh uh-uh well, now ron and i no i mean all going of us. to go all of us yeah <laughs> well, hold on. I, go, I do have that to go back to the trip though that wasn't the only thing that we saw well let's let's spin on to that let's nope. go why you went out there to begin with that's so, enough sorry when, That's enough. <laughs> when we were coming we back from the whales, because again, Barrett really wanted to get some images of otters, we left right. the whales um, and we headed back to go look for otters and it started to go in this one little cove area and we spotted something and realized it was an eagle, a bald eagle in the water that looked like he was swimming to shore and we're like wait what and um sure enough it was an eagle swimming to shore he had caught a fish and um he couldn't pull it out he of couldn't the water. pull it out of the water but he so held on to it he yeah, held on to all the way to shore he just was like wow 
just, it was the coolest thing to watch, and he was quite a ways out there. So he had he had a, what? He's probably forty foot swim to get to shore, and he wasn't letting go of that fish, man. It was like. Because I was like, I thought maybe he's just waterlogged. Because, you know, sometimes they go in and dive a little bit too deep for a fish, miss the fish, get waterlogged, can't fly, can't take off out of the water. They have to go back to the shore, dry out, and then they can take off. But as soon as he got to shore to this little rock, he hops out and poop, out pops this little fish. Well, the fish is in his talons, and he's just pulling it out, and he just proceeds to eat right in front of us. and. Till he dried off a little bit, and then he took the fish and flew off with it. But he stood there for a little while eating at it. It was pretty cool, too, because I didn't know eagles could do that. Right. No, I, I, hadn't, heard, I haven't heard a story like that. So, so we have okay, a few keep, images keep, on that, too. Keep piling them on. That's great. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited for you guys. That's so epic. That's, did go ahead, Ron. you find the baby otter? Yes. We did. But, so, <laughs> it was not a city otter. It was a wild otter. <laughs> so, I mean, you get back out with those wild otters, and they're pretty cagey. They don't like to be around people too much. We got some decent pictures. They'll be great for Instagram. I don't know that they're print quality or right. they're anything that we'd want to put on the wall or publish in a magazine, but it's super cute. I mean, to have that little... That little baby just riding around, and that mama, I mean, all she's doing is paddling you know, paddling around, and that baby just sits there. And I mean, we had to stay there for probably two hours just with that guy because it was sleeping, and we couldn't mm-hmm. wake it up or anything. We just had to sit there and wait till it woke up naturally, and then, and then there was a little bit of play in between them, and that peeking over and kind of, you know. In the pictures I have, I find it hard to believe that it was a pup because its head looks. As big as the mom's. It may not have been a brand new pup. We were hoping to find a big raft of otters. And you guys have probably seen that in pictures where you have 20 or 30 otters all in one great big kilt bed. And they just kind of float around together. We didn't see that at all. But I think down around Cordova and Prince William Sound is a better area for that. Not Seward. But Seward just happened to be the spot that was close and we could get to and we found a boat and... Everything, everything fell into place. But sea otters are cool. Let's let's talk about a couple of things about them while we're on the subject, though. I mean, I can go on moose all day, and we'll we'll have you know probably fifteen podcasts over the next several years on moose. But we'll focus more on that in autumn. They can, um, like you said, when they're rafts, they sleep like that too, right? And they even kind of hold on to one another, and. Um, Sea otters can stay in the water their whole life. Yep. They don't come out, can live up to 20 years, and they're big. They can be up to 45 kilograms. It's the largest member of the weasel family. And there was something you said the other day, Michael, about their fur as well that's unique, is that they're the densest of any animal on Earth. And so for a long time, they were harvested and to the point of over-harvesting because of that desired fur, right? But they've rebounded quite quite well in our healthy populations in the Bering Sea in Alaska at this point in time. The other cool thing about them is they use tools, right? Yep. So they'll get the sea urchins. They call their keystone species because um, they help gauge the health of the ecosystem because you have these kelp beds which has, which has sea urchins and the sea otters prey on, well, eat the sea urchins. And if too many sea urchins, and then that eats the kelp bed, right? 
but they'll collect the sea urchin in a, in a rock and they'll smash the sea urchin on the rock to break it open to feed on feed on it right because as an exoskeleton that way so they pound on the shells so i mean they're a very cool animal how and and watching them swim now i've seen this up close some places uh, not in alaska but i mean they're amazing to watch how they swim around and and i mean for a marine mammal other than something like a cetacean that swims under the water i don't think there's any animal that seems more comfortable in the ocean than a sea otter yeah it just speaks to what you said earlier they can live their whole life in the water they don't ever mm-hmm. have to leave we photographed all these wild otters out in the bay resurrection bay and then we came back and as we were going to the dock there's some sea otters that hang around in the dock area too and they call those the city otters because they're them always the city hanging otters there because they're there sure and that's where you can really observe the behavior, right? When we got there, they were just nonstop playing. There would be three of them, and then they would just bite each other and drive each other into the water and splash each other, and they'd smack each other with their little paws, and they just constant nonstop action. And then a couple of them that even got up and out of the water on a swim step of a boat. So it was kind of cool because you could actually see the whole otter out of the water and kind of get a flavor for how big they really are because they're – you know, the adults are, I don't know, big around as a They're solid. Yeah, yeah solid they're little solid. creatures. They're very solid. Yeah. And then you get to see their fur too, right? So you, as they're swimming around, mm. they're constantly, you know, they come out of the water and that water just like drips right off or just slides right off of their fur. It doesn't, their fur doesn't never really get wet. And then when they come out of the water too, they're constantly... They're constantly grooming themselves. Washing themselves and grooming themselves because it's the oil that's producing off of their pads that... That constantly oils that fur up so that the water does come right off. They said that they spend most of their time grooming. You'll even see them laying on their back in their water and they're constantly rubbing their face. That's why you get those cute little pictures of them looking like they're holding their cheeks because they're constantly grooming. Well, that's what makes them so photogenic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we normally don't give away locations on this show just because we don't want most of these areas that we go to be overrun. But that was a little pro tip right there. Right. If you want and, to I shoot mean, some otters. And I've seen them on Instagram feeds and, that you guys have, um, as well as in the show notes. Yeah, the pictures that you got were great of the sea otters as well. So, I mean, check that off the list for a successful day as well. Yep. So, you guys, is, we're going to have to plan this trip next year. I would do that over bears. I would take in, you know, the amount of money you spend going on that bear trip, you could get that boat for a couple, two or three days, and that would be pretty epic. And his mm-hmm. boat, this boat that we got, was set up to be able to land on a beach somewhere, and, and it has a, the front would lay down on the beach so you could walk out, and you could set up a wow. camp. It would be great. And this wow. guy would be all over it. Do I, do I hear Blue Bear? Do I hear it? Right? Yes. I'm in. Someday. Well, thank you for taking us vicariously on this voyage that you guys did and sharing it with us and sharing the images. And like I said, I've seen a few of the images. It is worth checking out for our listeners to go to wildandexposed.com, look at the show notes and see this adventure that Mike and Missy had. And I'm grateful for the information that you shared today and at some point, I know Ron and I would love to have this experience. I know my wife, Pilly, would love to. She loves whales beyond all. And just to uh, see them, I mean, to see them to begin with. Um, but what right. you had was an epic day and, and made for a stellar podcast. 
and I was actually serious about the wanting to be Jacques Cousteau thing. <laughs> I chose I chose my college based on the fact that every January they did this trip to the Gulf of Mexico and off the Baja Peninsula to study sea lions. And then when I got there, they never did the trip again. Oh, so no. I've been on a, I know. Been on a few whale trips, but I've never seen anything like that. I mean, that's that's kind of the the ultimate experience that you'd want to have with humpbacks, and and to have it in a place with the the terrain, the vistas that you guys had in the background as well. Man alive, you just couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah, it all dialed in really nicely. Yeah. No matter what you're listening to us on. There is a rating option, a thumbs up, five stars. Please show us some love and allow us to. It allows us to continue to do what we love in sharing our adventures with you, our hacks, our gear tips, and our vlogs, our short videos that we'll do. You can find those on YouTube as well at Wild and Exposed Podcast, and you can also find our Instagram links through wildandexposed.com. So thanks again for taking us, Mike and Missy, on this recent adventure. And I can't wait to see more of the images myself in the show notes. And uh, we look forward to touching base again soon. Thanks for tuning in.